I want to play Genesis. How much is it? Hey, 80 bucks. <laughs> what games are in this so far? Uh, Echo the Dolphin, <laughs> Castlevania, Bloodline, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Toe Jam and Earl, Comic Zone, Sonic, Altered Beast, Gunstar Heroes. That's all that's announced it's so not far. It's not bad. So <laughs> No, oh, wait. wait, they announced more. Wave 2, Earthworm Jim, yeah. Mickey's Castle of Illusion, fuck yeah, <laughs> Shinobi 3, Contra Hardcore, Sonic 2, World of Mickey World of Illusion, Thunder Force 3, Super Fantasy Zone, Streets of Rage 2, and Landstalker. Streets of Rage 2. <laughs> Purchase. You bought it? Yeah. It doesn't come out till September. I know, you guys, this is what you do to me. Well, if, uh, if it's anything like the Nintendo ones, it'll get canceled because they won't be able to keep up with demand. And the... Or it could be like the PlayStation one where I just spent 80 bucks on something that's going to cost five in three months. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> that too. All right, so this is Hot Button, and I'm Randall Beatrice here as always with uh, Austin Blakesley yeah, yeah, yeah. and host Chris Anantuano. I'm the host Friend this time it's, again. It's true. Damn, who's that impression of me or Randy? Yeah, that's both of us. Dude, you're inevitably ugly love child. <laughs> what do you mean inevitable? <laughs> I see you guys touching each other under the table right here. No, that's the. Those are the legs of the thing. Footsies. No, you can't even. Footsies. No. We can, we can make a podcast of audio of me kicking Austin in the knee. Yeah. It happened so many times. We, I'm just too fidgety. That's because I always put my cross my legs like this, and so do you. But we do it opposite. Yeah. So you're always kicking me I'm in the knee. I'm sitting on my legs right now. All right. So this is part two of our uh, saga, our Sega saga on like their venture into the home console space. Sega saga, nice dude. Yeah. That's good. That's my shit. I you like that? I'll keep saying it over and over. Oh, don't ruin it. <laughs> Say it five times fast. Sega Saga, Sega Saga, Sega Saga, Sega Saga. And that's how button they're about has <laughs> <laughs> been part two. Join us for part three where we come up with another bit for five seconds and then quit. <laughs> But uh, before we get to their inevitable downfall, let's jump back into, uh, where are we? What year? Where They're trucking All right, well, where we last and... left off, they had put out the SG-1000, mm-hmm. the SG-1000 the Master System. The Mark III. The Mega Drive. <laughs> um, and they put out the Genesis, which had a lot of success in and the uh, North America. And the Jukebox. <laughs> yeah. um, so now we're going to get on to what happens next. Yeah. So I mentioned they were leaving leapfrogging real quick i don't know anything about computers mine barely works um so i'm gonna get austin could you kind of do like a brief explanation about what bits are because 16-bit 8-bit 32-bit 64-bit gaming all this is going to come up a whole lot now and the and the marketing in this era was literally what number's bigger like do you ever see ads yeah Yeah. tv yeah so that's so randy's hinting at what i why i wanted to talk about this because it's very funny so A bit in computing is the foundation of how everything works. Basically, if you don't know, computers talk to each parts of each other with ones and zeros. (laughs) That one or zero is known as a bit. Uh, And that's all binary. What about quantum computers? I don't know, dude. I didn't go to college for that. Um, 
And it's all done in binary. So basically, back in the old days, we're talking about room computers with giant vacuum tubes. Like the um, mainframes yes. that are in. Yeah. Basically, they had transistors, and it would basically you would run electricity through a transistor and light it up. And that would determine whether a certain function of the computer was on or off, which is where binary came from. So yeah. one tends to mean on, zero tends to mean off. And then they were like, we want to make a computer that can add up numbers. And they made something that took up like an entire like skyscraper worth and it can add like three to four. And then they're like, wait a minute. In order to do anything, we need to be able to add much bigger numbers. So then they started adding more transistors. What do you think those computers are now? uh, This. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically, for video games, for processors, a bit is how many numbers it can deal with at a time. Mm -hmm. So the way binary works is... It's base 1 instead of base 10. So, like, if I say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, the first digit becomes 0 again. The next digit has a 1 in it. And then the first digit is how many singles, how many 1s are in the number. The second digit is how many 10s, then how many 100s. Binary works the same way, but it's base 2. Sorry, not base 1. So, basically, the first digit is how many 1s are in it, and then how many 2s, and then 4s, 8, 16, 32. So, it's like... The number 8, for example, in binary is 1000, because there's one 8 in it, 040201s. So 8-bit, what that means is that everything in the system can only be stored in 8 bits, Hmm. which, if you know anything about binary, that's 8 numbers that goes from 0 to 255. Right, 256 is the... Yes, 256 is is too much. That's why in the original Zelda, you can only hold 255 rupees. Right. So in terms of gaming, it can come in one of a number of ways. In games like Mega Man, for example, you know how it would, like, flicker? Yeah. So you could only have... I think in, you could, the thing would render the screen in something called scan lines, okay. and each scan line could only have a certain number of sprites rendered onto it at a time, based on how many. That's mem- where you would get the. Based on how many the memory could of. hold, because the memory was all eight by eight squares of pixels, right. because it was eight bit, and then it could only hold like eight or like four, I think, sprites per line. So like if if you jump up and Mega Man fires two bullets, and yeah. Mega Man's face was one sprite and his body was another sprite, because you could only have four. Colors Colors per each Occupy sprite, so you couldn't have a peach-colored face and a blue-colored suit. So they were two separate sprites, <laughs> plus the two bullets, plus an enemy. The enemy would flicker yeah. with Mega Man because each frame would be rendering Mega Man or the enemy because you could only render a certain amount right, per, yeah. per scan line. You uh, would see that flickering. A that's lot. where flickering came that's from. It, it's even funny now in emulation that stuff yes, is still there. Yeah. I think uh, the Mario games, the timer starts at two fifty-five seconds. Yes, like I exactly. think every level. Yeah, that's so funny. And then there's another thing which is. 8-bit color depth. So it's like part of an NES game stores what colors the game could use. Right. So yeah, different games had different palettes. Like, yes, yeah. because you had 255 colors available to you, right. but you could only use four per sprite hmm. because of the way the memory limitations worked. So that's why when you move from the Nintendo to the Super Nintendo, games got more colorful because they were yeah, able to hold totally. 16 bits worth of... Uh, yeah, so 8-bit was 255, 16 bits was 2 to the 16th, or a max value of 65,536. That's quite a significant jump. So that's quite a significant <laughs> jump. And then you get into 32 bits, which is insanely higher. It's something in the 4 billions. 
Then no, yeah, sorry. The math is exponential. Two, yeah. 2,147,483,647. And then Jeez. you get to 64, 64 bit, bit, which is... Whoa. Uh, was so, 128 maybe the last time bits were referenced, maybe? In- so here's the funny thing. <laughs> in terms of gaming, they didn't know how to market games when, like, the NES was, like, a thing. I mean, like, people yeah. bought them because they were toys. But they were like, yeah, it's got 8-bit processing power. And everybody's like, oh. And then Genesis came <laughs> out, and they were like... This has got 16 bits of processing power. It's like, that's, that's twice as many bits! That's <laughs> yeah. double the bits! Yeah. So then, like, what Chris is about to get into, they started this whole war. Bit war. Where they're like, yo, yeah, well, the Sega Saturn has 32 bits of processing power. <laughs> and then that's twice as much as the SNES. Nintendo 64 comes out, and they're like, it has 64 bits of yeah. processing power, yeah. even though it can't actually handle that, and it has a 32-bit bus, so it's the same thing. <laughs> but the number's higher. And then, like, the GameCube came out, and I was like, it's got 128 bits! And it's like, no, no, no with that it doesn't. <laughs> because, you know, the computers that are sitting in front of us all right now are 64-bit. Right, yeah, and that's the why reason, the operating system... The reason it. that Windows has 32-bit and 64-bit versions is because the memory address of your computer is stored as a number. And if it's a 32-bit number, then you can only hold that many max memory addresses, right. which is why 32-bit versions of Windows can only maximally use 4 gigabytes of memory. So oh. when you upgrade to 64-bit, all of a sudden they get to be able to use something like... 256 gigabytes or 512 gigabytes of RAM, or it might even be in terabytes at that point. Like, it's exponentially higher. So this this stuff eventually kind of... So it doesn't matter. Like, the, you know, they talk about how, like, the Nintendo 64 is 64-bit. No, it wasn't. It was. It had a 64-bit processor, but it couldn't use it because it was pointless. (laughs) Nobody had the use for that that, on that system. I remember all those games in that platform. The PlayStation 1, 32 bits. The Xbox, 32 bits. The GameCube, 32 bits like it, yeah. the processors themselves have always been 32 bits up until like recently the PlayStation 4, 4 and the Xbox One mm-hmm. and I'm pretty and I'm pretty sure the the Switch but like what they refer to when they say 32 bit 16 bit 8 bit is one of two things it's either the memory limit of the console which is how much they can render on screen at a time how many backgrounds they can use things like that right. or the color depth so it's like yeah that's the big most of the time here that's not it's going to be the processing power yeah. not the yeah, color yeah. depth Co- color depth only really mattered when it jumped from 8 to 16 bits because you went from having 255 colors available to you which was kind of limiting to 65,000 something which is yeah. yeah nobody ever uses that many colors all at once i don't know if there, there are that, that many, many shades colors, of colors some, yeah. some new ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, thank you. Um, I'm smarter uh, every day because of you. <laughs> we smart. left them off. They were trying to leapfrog. <laughs> the Sega CD was kind of a failure, at least yeah. in the market uh, place. Uh, in its rivals, it just kind of got drowned in just a bunch of other CD. Apparently, garbage. that thing like got price dropped pretty quick. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it was three hundred dollars when it came out. I know. And, like, yeah. That's, a, that's very intense for not a lot of stuff. Uh, on last episode, I had uh, was the Sega CD its own thing, or did you have to attach it to a Genesis? It was a Genesis attachment. Yeah. Like it. So it was three hundred dollars plus the cost of a Genesis, or did it come? Or it was, was three hundred dollars uh, including the Genesis? I'm actually not sure. I'm mm. sure some deals were separate, some were together. But yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. I just assumed it was it's so separate attachment yeah. if you had a genesis now you can play cd games for if you bought this 300. for extra 300 I, I know it was an yeah. add-on but i do think that they made later versions of the genesis that had it yeah all right so at this point in time sega decided to put four 32-bit projects into development they codename each of these four projects 
Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, and Neptune. We all know which one won. Yes. Did they, and did that's why the Sega... Uh, yeah. So, we're jumping forward a little bit in the story. Do you think they stopped making consoles because they ran out of planets? Because <laughs> <laughs> they covered Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, and Neptune for the Saturn, and then when they got to the Dreamcast, they're like, Project Pluto, and then they, oh, made yeah. the, they went to make another one, and they're like, fuck. They found uh, out Pluto I wasn't guess, a planet anymore, yeah. and that's why the, that's why the Dreamcast... <laughs> yeah. Now that's the true reason. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so... The Saturn Project was headed by Hideki Seto, who's going to be a character who comes in a lot. He was one of the best engineers of the time and eventually becomes one of the head engineers of Sega. He was the lead on the SG-1000, the Master System, and the Mega Drive. So him and his team pretty much led the console development. They knew they were doing. So the Saturn was supposed to be a 32-bit console with a CD and a cartridge support, and it was backed up by Project Jupiter, which was going to be a cartridge-only 32-bit system. Right, yeah. They, 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 they were very big on, like, we don't want to leave people behind. Like, we want to be backwards. Yeah. We want to appeal to they wanted to have the cheaper market and the more... Prior to this, Sado and some Sega engineers traveled to meet with Joe Miller, who is an engineer at Sega of America. He's like the Sado kind of over there. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to collaborate on a new Genesis model. They wanted to use double the colors and make it at a lower cost. Yeah. That's where the 32-bit color thing... Got Fun fact, double the colors is not 32-bit, as we learned, because... <laughs> From 255 to 65,000. Double the colors is 17-bit color. (laughs) Joe Miller didn't like this idea. No, he really didn't. If you actually like go back, like he like he was very open. Yeah, like very, very, very. Because I actually I watched a thing recently about the the 32x. (laughs) Um, he wanted to do a full 32-bit expansion for the Genesis because the Genesis was fucking huge in America. Yeah. (laughs) So he wanted to do that, um, and that's when Project Mars is born. Project Mars was going to be a 32-bit expansion device, just like the CD, for the Genesis, because extending the life of a dying console is better than developing a new one, <laughs> <laughs> which is very American. The game was so big, they're like, why build a new one? Yeah, this Let's is already just... in the homes of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they backed up the Mars Project with Neptune. Their goal was to... Com- which is, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> Their goal was to combine whatever 32-bit expansion they made for the Genesis and the Genesis together to make it built in. A lazy <laughs> version of developing what they were doing in Saturn. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah, which it's so stupid. Um, <laughs> so two side stories came out of this time, which I think are interesting and a great example of how Sega continually shoots them themselves in the foot so we'll just take a little yeah. off the beaten path here the first one tom kalinsky was apparently uh not impressed by the plans for the saturn and he wanted to find a different graphics chip i don't know what he knew about the graphics processing power right. or at the time if he was getting caught up in the whole let's get more bits kind of battle <laughs> he wanted a new graphics chip so he met with james h clark of a company called silicon graphics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they were working with the mips or mips computer systems to develop a low-cost real-time 3d graphics system in sega fashion plans fell through yeah. sega of america was all about it but japan wasn't they claimed there were unresolved hardware issues and the project was too risky because of that and then ironically enough <laughs> also they also wanted exclusive rights because don't forget sega wanted yeah, to be nintendo wanted to be, yeah. and ironically enough in 1993 nintendo ends up picking that up deal up instead and they use that chip in what That's we call the... the n64 <laughs> wow so they missed out on some good graphic opportunities there yeah. uh, the second story i'm going to touch on a bit because we talked about going deep into this kind of thing in the future 
An engineer by the name of Ken Kutaragi had a daughter who loved the NS NES, and he was determined to get his company into the video game industry. His company was a little <laughs> company called Sony. What yep. motivation. Ken Kutaragi. <laughs> yeah. The president of Sony at the time, Norio Oga, was approved a partnership with Nintendo. And in 1989, both of the companies let it slip that the Super Famicom Hybrid would have CD tech and a cartridge port. Yeah. And at Summer CES 1991, Sony officially announced the Nintendo and, PlayStation. And, that's seriously one of the craziest stories in all of video games. Yeah. It's, it's what an really insane nice. alternate universe that I know. is. Yeah. <laughs> where, where that's the. Uh, it's that. like extremely believable, too. Yeah. The very next day. Yep. Nintendo announces that they were not allying with Sony, mm -hmm. and instead they're going to go on to work with one of Sony's competitors, Philips. <laughs> Sony was pissed. Yeah. Why? Because Nintendo was afraid that Sony was going to get a better end of the console deal, and that it would res uh, divert revenue I, I away love from this. They inadvertently like and actually created <laughs> yeah. their biggest uh, competitor. So uh, their alliance with Philip was for licensing deals yep. on Nintendo properties. <laughs> we all know what came out of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and the Philips CDI. <laughs> uh, so yeah, gosh, good. it sure is boring around here. <laughs> you know what they say. So good deal. Sony was fucking pissed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hideki. Thing and they announced the shit. We're gonna make a cool console. We're yeah. so excited. Nintendo stuck with Philips for a while too. Yeah, I think they later on um, still because they them. were afraid that Sony would make too much money on the deal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, Hideki, uh, Hideki Sato was friends with Sony president Snorioga. Okay. So, Sega of America was already working with uh, Sony Electronic Publishing for games for the Mega CD, because they picked up all those third-party publishers in America right. trying to push the Mega CD failure. So, Tom Kalinske, Olaf Olafsson. Um, Olaf Olafsson. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, uh, the president of Sweden. Yeah, Sony, the fucking, yeah, he came the, up before. I yeah, he's the president of Sony Electronic Publishing. I just imagine an American guy in a suit, a Japanese guy in a suit, and then a dude in a Viking costume. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the Sony of America CEO, Mickey Scholhoff, all three decide to team up for a new console. Plans are made. Sony heads in Japan are like, fuck yeah, approve the deal. Let's get this going. We just, Nintendo just fucked us. Let's, let's get something going. <laughs> but Sega Japan says no. No. <laughs> um, just like Nintendo, Hayao Nakayama, the president of Sega, was afraid that Sony would end up getting a better deal and become a bigger partner in the industry that Sega was. And Sega had more history. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so after getting burned by both Sega and Nintendo, Sony was like, alright, fuck you guys. Uh, we have this <laughs> little project we're working on i guess we'll go ahead with it it's called the psx oh. <laughs> and that eventually becomes the playstation which yep. absolutely fucking destroys yeah. nintendo and the sega in the coming years yeah they missed out an opportunity to work with the upcoming you know yeah. competition and they bubbled the it and buried themselves that was the best like the best example probably in history of living well is the best revenge yeah. you know that that old adage <laughs> Because Sony was just like, come on, Nintendo, we really want to get into video games. And they're like, nah, we're afraid you'll take too much money away from us. And Sega's, they're like, come on, Sega. Nintendo said no. And they're like, no, you're going to take too much money away from us. And they're like, fuck it, I'll do it. And then they did it. And then they took so much money away from Sega that Sega no longer makes hardware. Yeah. <laughs> so the first view of the Saturn came at Winter CES 1994. It wasn't even Sega's main focus of the show. They just showed some photo that was obscured in darkness. Yeah, yeah. They showed some tech demos for Virtua Soccer, Clockwork Knight, and Panzer Dragoon. Hmm. 
a month later, because we'll we'll know when they really show the Saturn what yeah. happened. Uh, a month later, in February, they scrapped Project Jupiter, the 32-bit cartridge system. Cartridges <laughs> were getting too expensive to produce, and uh, yeah. this led to the Saturn also dropping the cartridges in favor of just the CD-ROM system. You know who should have done that? Uh, Nintendo, like the <laughs> N64, because uh, yeah. Uh, however, still around and moving cartridges along, cartridges cost money. The Sega of America Project Mars. Um, <laughs> at a spring show in 1994, Sega head Nakayama revealed the Saturn to the world. And uh, even the silver-painted system on display was just a, a block of wood at yeah. the time. They showed a tech demo of it running Virtua Fighter, and Virtua Fighter that was, was huge crazy in yeah. Japan. Yeah. It's one of the best arcade games of all time there. So people were excited. They saw this tech demo. It looked incredible. It was running well. It, yeah, it made a lot of money over there. Um, and and it, it got relatively big here. There was a following. Well, and you know what happens when Sega gets some steam and they got a little bit of backing behind them? <laughs> In June 1994, at a Sega Gamers Day event, Sega of America, seemingly completely oblivious to the upcoming release of the Sega Saturn, announces the release of its Project Mars, which is now known as the Sega 32X. <laughs> there will be 32-bit gaming by the end of the, the year. The old mushroom top. <laughs> yeah. There will be 32-bit gaming by the end of the year, just not on the system that everyone thought. Yeah. And though Sega did put the Saturn on hold in North America, because in the, they wanted to wait for software support to catch up, like that's usually what they did was test in the home market, Yeah. wait for software support to catch up, and then do all that. I don't think that they meant to put out your own console in the meantime <laughs> to America. Uh, this was stupendously dumb yeah. in retrospect. Oh, it's even dumber is how they launched it here. <laughs> <laughs> all the best developers were like, already knew about the Saturn. Nintendo had this Ultra 64 project that yeah. nobody knew about. Right, yeah, Ultra 64. And the no, Sony no. PSX project was supposedly supposed to release around 1995. So did, all the developers knew that, about yeah. these. So the 32X would never compete, they <laughs> no. thought. Nobody was enthusiastic about developing for it. Did you guys know anyone that had that? Did either of you guys have it growing no. up? The 32X? Yeah. I yeah. knew somebody that had it. I didn't have it. Okay. I played Doom on it. Yeah. That, yeah, that, there was a version of Doom on the 32X, yep. yeah. Did yours have missing levels and things like that? I, I don't know. My <laughs> friend had it. I played it for like five seconds. <laughs> all right, well, this is an interesting story I found. Sega flew a bunch of journalists from all over the country to San Francisco to stay at this hotel. And then they rented a bunch of buses and took them all to this huge party they were throwing at some San Francisco <laughs> nightclub. Because <laughs> you know what journalists, uh, gaming journalists yeah, love. Fucking it. This, like, this, this is all for the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were going to promo the 32X. I love it. This is all like a celebration of the stupid... <laughs> Tom Kalinske gave a speech... And then apparently a local rapper performed oh a song that was too... I looked all over the place. Oh, no, that was going to be my question. I was <laughs> no. like, please tell me you found this song No, somewhere. I fucking wish. Uh. Um, he, he put out a long performance about how great the 32X <laughs> was. I really wish oh I fucking had this. Apparently the music was so loud, and all the 32X games they had all over the place sucked so bad. <laughs> Nobody wanted to play them, and most people just hung out in the lobby to get away from oh, the fucking nightclub so party. When some of them tried to leave... They found out that the buses that had dropped them off weren't supposed to come back until after the party was over. Oh, no! So they were all stranded there. Holy shit. This is depressing. So, the 32X releases on November 21st, 1994 in North America, one day before the Saturn released in Japan. <laughs> 
that's right. Yeah. Oh god. Yep. In the beginning, like most new consoles, it wasn't the absolute worst. No, um, well, there was still like a you know quite a few people yeah. that. A lot of the sales came around we're Thanksgiving. Still their yeah, Thanksgiving weekend and Christmas uh, sales and all that shit. Holiday season, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They reportedly outsold the 3DO. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah. 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 That bar, yeah, buddy. Killing it. 3DO, by the way, company I think founded by Trip Hawkins, yeah. who was oh, brought really? up in the last uh-huh. episode. Didn't the 3DO also cost like $800 yeah, or something? something like that. Yeah. I know the CEI did. Um, arcade ports like Virtual Racing Deluxe and Star Wars Arcade a, did Wars well. Arcade. Yeah. But behind them, were a bunch of aging arcade yeah, uh, rips yeah. and barely any third-party support because most devs completely skipped the 32X in favor of, of the Saturn when that was you? coming out. Which was supposed to be stronger. He also mentioned Doom, didn't it? Wasn't there a version of Doom also on the Saturn? Like uh, they, yeah. I think they made a 32X uh, one. And most of the fans skipped it too. Yeah. Since everything was rushed through development to hit the market, games had sound issues, yeah. the Doom port oh, was missing an about. entire chunk yeah. of the game. That's uh, why yeah. I said it. Like yeah. I don't know if it was in all of them, but a lot of people were pissed. Also, there's uh, like John Carmack, he'll port Doom to anything. It's true. <laughs> You're like, here's a new piece of hardware, and he's such a nerd. He's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I got nothing to do this weekend. Yeah, I'm gonna figure this out. Yeah. Put, Put Doom on it. <laughs> yeah. There was a slew of bad launch titles, like a game called Cosmic Carnage. And it looked I'm like a even failed sure Genesis fighter. Like, I looked there it up, a lot of it is so bad. It, it's dumb. It's like aliens instead of, like, <laughs> fighters. And, like, That's, it's just the sound like is horrible. Assassins. Like, yeah. the sound is horrible. The graphics are just It's, it's hilarious outdated. because so we, uh, going back to our Giant Bomb episode, uh, Giant Bomb has a great series called Ranking of Fighters. Yeah. You don't realize, like, just how many you remember Virtual Fighter, you remember Soul Calibur, you remember Mortal Kombat, Mortal Street, Kombat Fighter, yeah. Street Fighter, Smash Brothers. Like, yeah. there's a lot of really great fighting series out there, but there are, from this era, there are so many bad fighting games. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, fighting games and racing games, man. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. everything. <laughs> By the January, which is the start of the next year, <laughs> they're reported that consoles were getting returned. <laughs> um, I guess nobody was interested in the 32-bit Echo the Dolphin port for the 32X. <laughs> it uh, was hard. By the way, that Project Neptune from earlier, where they were going to combine a 32X and oh, Genesis yeah, yeah. into one, well, you know, the some, dumber way the, of the, making yeah, system. Yeah. Um, by the time they had a prototype, the Saturn had a release date in North America. <laughs> So they scrapped it. Yeah. In Japan, the 32X was released in December of 1994. That's after the Saturn came out. So what was the incentive to buy and program over there? It's even worse than in America. Why? The Saturn's already out. Why would we... The Saturn was out in America? No, the Saturn was out in Japan. Oh, yeah. It was out... Yeah. yeah, It took like a year to come... Yeah, by the time the 32X got there, the Saturn was already out. So nobody... They just skipped it completely. Yeah. So between this and the Sega CD, Sega took a huge hit to their reputation. Um, The 32X is considered one of the worst console releases Uh, of all time. Also, you mentioned that Saturn had a... I think it had a release window... I don't know if it had a specific date because apparently uh, for the Saturn here after it got like pushed back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't have a specific date yet. Yeah, but they're just like, "Eh, it's going to come out probably around this time because that's what made that the very first E3 so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They just canceled the project because there was like, here's when it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, they knew (laughs) internally Um, what they were going to do. But it wasn't all bad news. I wonder how many copies the 32X sold. I I did have the numbers, but yeah, look look it up. It wasn't all bad news. pricey, too. There was still the Saturn. (laughs) (laughs) That little joystick thing. In Japan, where the Saturn was designed and whose fans it was Joystick tailored for, 
there was quite a huge success over there. Yeah. On November 22nd, 1994, the Saturn was released in Japan. Yeah. In the past, Sega had a bit of trouble supplying the retailers with the product, like most gaming consoles mm-hmm. had those issues back They're then. They're all playing Nights uh, in the Dreams. Yeah. Sales estimates for the 32X stood at 665,000 units at the end of 1994. I mean, that's bad considering Genesis and they, numbers. And, they, and then they, oh, like Chris Genesis said, they were, in the millions. they were returned at the beginning of 1995. And then it says, later the retail price was dropped to $99 and later $20. (laughs) Yeah, they were clearing it out for the Saturn's Mm -hmm. company. Of course. The Saturn was released in Japan and they had some trouble supplying retailers with product in the past like most consoles were, but this time they were prepared. They held back 300,000 units for a week until December 3rd because Sony was launching the PlayStation. There's like weird stories about like retailers being like, this is a released product and and they just have it like sitting. Uh, Because Sony reportedly only sent 100,000 consoles to retailers at launch. Damn, that is not enough. They wanted to have a bunch of Saturns in the back so when people couldn't buy PlayStations, they would buy Saturns. Yeah, Yeah, that is kind of smart, I guess. The Saturn sold 170,000 units on its first day. It's the most successful console launch in the company's history. Jeez. Um, I found a little snippet here in one of these old 90s gaming magazines, which is incredible, by the way. The advertisements yeah, yeah. are just off the chain. They're like, mm-hmm. the Ozone's dying. Why don't you go play some games at Blockbuster? I swear to God, it's a real <laughs> fucking ad I found. Oh, God. The lines on launch day were hours and hours long for the Saturn. Oh, Sega's advertising, by the way, they they had like they were using like sex appeal in their ads oh, yeah. and, their, and all this shit. It was so funny. So apparently extra staff was hired and dressed like coneheads to keep order. Wait, like... Not like the SNL okay. bit coneheads. <laughs> Saturn did an ad campaign where the Saturn coneheads were like aliens yep, from Saturn. What? They look like they're wearing like the Shakespearean like neck thing. Oh my god. And they have weird coneheads. They kind of look like the SNL coneheads to be honest. That's stupid. They hired those people to keep order. Like, go this way. Like, uh, yeah, not yeah, like yeah. Riot Gear yeah, keep order. No, no. <laughs> Retrospectively, Sony eventually had the upper hand, but at this time, that wasn't the case. PlayStation was cheaper than the Saturn, yeah. but the Saturn was bundled with five games. And That's kind of crazy yeah. to think about. Can All the PlayStation hardware was sold separately, so overall, it was a higher cost. Yeah. One of those bundled games for the Saturn was Virtua Fighter. Everybody wanted and that. And as I said earlier, it's one of the most successful arcade games of all time in Japan. Tons of those sales are people buying solely just to play Virtua yeah. Fighter. Mm-hmm. So, this is something that we don't really think about in an age yeah, of... Yeah, uh, I saw this bit in this... <laughs> old-time wiry controllers. Yeah. The Saturn's lead was seven feet long, and mm. apparently the PlayStation's was really short, and that yeah. took a lot of people, not angry about that, and would buy the Saturn's instead. I, you, we still saw it when Nintendo made the mini consoles or whatever, like the NES Mini and the SNES Mini, and the cable's like three feet. Yeah, and people like, were yeah, pissed. This is know, brought like, up all over the place. Yeah. People are like, fuck their leads, I hate this. Uh-huh. Yeah. And on top of this, Sega still had that clout man 10 years of successful cutting age arcade games and sony just made the walkman and the disc man <laughs> so they had like a lot to prove like this isn't the sony in gaming that we know nowadays this is the electronics company who just decided to release their own console the, the walkman guys nice. all right, all right. <laughs> um the late release of the 32x didn't have the same kind of horrible impact in japan because the Saturn was already out, it was forgotten, buried, and killed within a year. <laughs> um, they just, like, nobody cared about it. It was frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the end of the 1994 holiday season, the Saturn had sold 500,000 to Sony's 300,000. The middle of the following year, Saturn hit 1 million consoles. Then they price dropped. 
So Sony did manage to catch up a little bit during this time, but the holiday season 95, Sega beat out PlayStation again with help from Virtual Fighter 2, Sega Ooh. Rally Championship, and Virtual Cop. Virtual Cop. <laughs> so a That's fighter, the, a racer, yeah. and Virtual Cop. And a rail shooter, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, there was another price drop in mid-96. Right, yeah, wait, Virtual Cop, isn't that the blue? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fucking Lieberman's favorite. And there's a price drop in mid-96. Sega was outselling the PlayStation 2 to 1, just like they did with the Genesis in America to Nintendo. Their market share went from 12% to 32% from 94 to 95. Jeez. Nintendo went from 75% to 33% in that same time period. Yeah. Nintendo hadn't put out anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nintendo well. releases the N64 in September 2 in Japan. Pretty lukewarm reception. Like, most people were kind of disappointed. Well, because it, it. it only launched with two games. Yeah. And even though one of them was... One of the best games of games all time. Games of all time. <laughs> like, literally an invention of an entire dimension and genre. Yeah. But, like, people were very... It's weird. Like, the way that they looked at that stuff was, like, nowadays you wouldn't release a console with two games. No. Like, it's, like, it's not, you know. So Sega continued their lead over both Sony and Nintendo until the beginning of 1997, when Sony dealt a major blow with a game by Kabushiki Gaisha Sukue, <laughs> or as it's known here, yeah. Square. <laughs> they released they the simplified game. that a little bit. Yeah. They released the game Final Fantasy VII. Mm. And that game... A game originally in development for the Nintendo 64. And then yeah. they went with cartridges and uh-huh. weren't able with, to... You couldn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't fit the game. But previously I mean, a series didn't dominated. fit on a CD either. Yeah. But yeah. 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 It was like three CDs yeah. multiple cartridges. Yeah. So this game rocketed PlayStation sales. It literally shot them ahead. In Japan, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It gave them the lead. Now, across the sea, Sega of America, they weren't looking so good. The press were excited about the Saturn, but they were like... What's with all those resources you put into the 32X? Like, what's going to happen with this? They thought that all that they put into it was a sign that they didn't trust Saturn. And after all, Sega had 55% market share. The Genesis had outsold Nintendo in the holiday season for three straight years and was still in 1995 looking to do it again. But think about if you did that now. Think about if you announced two products and you're just like, you know, there's this weaker one that we're like kind of half invested in but then like look at this other one that's on the horizon why would anybody buy the first one exactly like it's Um, really bad business tom kalinsky in regards to his trust of the saturn quote i was in japan for the launch of the saturn and it was selling out as fast as it was arriving in stores i'm amazed at how they managed to sell so many of these machines at what are very high prices but the U.S. is very different market to Japan. And we in Sega USA recognize the importance of proper pricing. <laughs> there were kids skipping down the street and to their gumdrop houses wearing their Sega t-shirts. So pricing, this is all how it is. Yeah, uh, yep. He was convinced the 32X would still outsell the competition just because the importance of price in the U.S. market. Yeah. Um, a release date was eventually chosen for the Saturn. Saturn Day. <laughs> Fucking garbage. <laughs> oh my Se- god. September I, 2nd, uh, 1995. I, I read through that and I just, I thought it was a time. <laughs> nope. Fun fact. Are they trying to capitalize on like the Mortal Mortal Kombat Monday or Mortal Monday or whatever? If oh. you type Saturn Day Saturn into Google, Day. it says, did you mean Saturday? <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, nobody would actually. It was pushed back this stupid. far because Kalinske wanted at least 10 games to be ready at launch. Yeah. It was reported that there would be 20 games at launch and 100 more by 100 Christmas. 100 more, yeah. Japan told Sony of America to have the Saturn on shelves by fall 1995. 
However, they caught some wind on the PlayStation. Maybe about its specs, maybe about how well it was going to sell here. Yeah. The Final Fantasy some was the, about to come out, yeah. all this stuff. Uh, where Final Fantasy they saw was in that development. Demo running yeah. on that thing. So, Tom Kalinske had other plans in mind. At E3 1995. Yeah, sorry to me to jump the gun no, into the okay. but it's one of my favorite. Like, <laughs> this is the first E3 ever. Because okay? fucking imagine if they. If this happened today, like <laughs> yeah. everybody in the audience would just be like, "Wait, what?" and then, like look at their phones, and, like, yeah. like nobody would know what to do. Tom Kalinsky, thinking that it would drum up some PR and excitement, announced that the Saturn with six titles would be available across the United States immediately. <laughs> That's so like, Did and they kept that a secret. If like, the PlayStation Five, they were just like, yeah. "It's available today." Yeah, like there like, would be riots. Yeah, people would be shoving people out of the way to yeah. leave. Like, yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> this caught the crowd off guard. I was like, wait, yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> but you know who else they caught off guard? <laughs> Retailers. <laughs> because they had no fucking idea of that either. <laughs> <laughs> Tom was just like, it's coming out today. And they're like, wait, there's well, nothing in our back room. What's what? hilarious is that a lot of representatives of retailers are at E3. So yeah. that's it's like your job to manage all the like, Funko lands in a region. And then you're sitting there like, it's going to be it's in stores now. And you're like, wait, n- no. What? Sega didn't have enough consoles or software to justify that kind of fucking launch. Yeah. They could only supply Toys R Us, Electronic Boutique, and a few select oh, others. Okay? KB Toys Off got snubbed. Yeah. And they ultimately refused to sell the system at all because they got snubbed. Yeah. All right. They, they had the grudge about it. Yeah. Um, on top of that, the $399 price tag Ugh. meant no retailer made a profit What is that systems. in today's money, too? Like, uh, that's... They relied completely on software to make up the, uh, yeah, to make up the rest of the money. I'm going to look this up. We're going to have exchange rates. It's yeah. probably, like, the same. What? Can we talk about capitalism and inflation? <laughs> I, I looked it up, and that would be... Holy shit. (laughs) Um, Later that same E3, Sony Entertainment of America, Chief Steve Race got on stage. His last name's Race? Yeah. And announced that the PlayStation would be released at $299. Right, that was their whole fucking. And then walked off stage immediately (laughs) to a roaring applause. Apparently, they had this whole script, and then he just did that and left. Yeah, because they were like. Saturn down it costs four hundred dollars. He was like, the PlayStation costs three hundred dollars. See, and it just left. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, funny. As Sega got more stock, they staggered their release across the cities and retailers. Yeah. Not to mention the software was limited to just those six titles because all the devs were like, "No, we're still working oh. on games for September." <laughs> hey, one of those was Daytona USA. <laughs> Sony just sat back and watched the market, fine-tuning their own launch, and eventually on September 9th, the PlayStation was released, and Sega was not ready for this. (laughs) The PlayStation launch broke records. 80,000 Saturns were sold leading up to the PlayStation release, and 100,000 PlayStations were pre-ordered. It's not even out yet! Another 130,000 were sold within the first week. Sony was selling so much software, they ran out of plastic cases. (laughs) So Sega's consolation prize, they sold Sony some of their cases for the 
Saturn games. Uh, this is why the game Rayman was originally released with a long Saturn case, apparently. Oh, my God. So, yeah. They, there's old PlayStation cases. They're like, we're selling too many. Can we have ones? some of yours? Yeah, selling them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Just the, so that's the most defeating thing. Tom Kalinske, who was tired of the Japanese hand of Sega being too heavy on Sega of America, yeah. resigned. Not that, because that's, that's they, a problem still yeah. with a lot of uh, game companies these um, days. Followed by David Rosen and then Sega Japan head Hayao yeah. Nakayama. I think David They're Rosen all out the was door. a character also in our ESRB. Yeah. So, a few price drops and a couple free game bundles. They no. like paired games for free with it. Managed to keep the sales going for a little while. But in the beginning of 1997, Saturn sales weren't all that bad. But compared to the newly released Nintendo 64, selling mm. almost 400,000 consoles a month on average, the PlayStation was selling almost 200,000 consoles a month on average, and the Saturn just set at around 77,000. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about it. The N64 at this point, you had Mario 64 and Star Fox and GoldenEye and Ocarina of Times over the horizon. Yeah, that 400,000 number did drop down soon after that, yeah. but around yeah. that time, it was high. By August 97, the market share... Sony 47, mm-hmm. Nintendo 40, Sega 12%. 55 to 12. 55 to 12 in under three years. Oh, two years. man. Ultimately, the competition was better at marketing. Yeah. And it was easier to program for. Apparently, the Saturn was really hard oh, to program yeah. for. Yeah. The N64 and the PlayStation outsold the Saturn and surpassed it technically. Not to mention continual fumbles and underestimations by Sega themselves. Yeah. But it's like and, 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 the, and the 3D games on the the CD were like not even really 3D. Like, the, you know what I mean? No. Like, because a lot of people thought the Saturn gaming. was supposed to be a 2D system. Yeah. Because it didn't. <laughs> I should have asked before because well. I was curious. Did either of you guys ever have a CD or play? No. No. I don't know many people that did. The Saturn? The Saturn. The Saturn. Sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah. I never okay. had a Saturn because I got the N64 and then I got the PlayStation later. And then yeah. by the time I would have had enough money to spend any money on a Saturn, I don't think they were available. <laughs> and also I ended up buying a GameCube and then Xbox the and then PlayStation 2. I did go back and buy a Dreamcast uh, okay. after Sega shut down everything. That, that stuff got I cheap. I bought it for $30 at GameStop. Yeah. I just it was it's just weird because the Sega Saturn's a weird console I, um, to me because I was playing games aggressively at this time and I somehow just missed that like I I went right from so, the Genesis and Super Nintendo to the to PlayStation back, and N64. To go back to our Halo episode, I used to go over this one kid's house uh, for Halo LAN parties. Yeah. Like once a month, and he had a Sega Saturn. <laughs> and one night, well, we got done playing Halo, and a bunch of people were like falling asleep. So like, let's go play some Sonic Adventure and too. He also had a Dreamcast. That was the first time I ever played Soul Calibur. Oh, okay. But we also beat all of Panzer Dragoon okay. over the course Panzer of a Dragoon's couple fun. months, yeah. and we also played a lot of Virtual Fighter, so yeah. Okay. Um, its legacy lives on, though. It's one of the most popular consoles of all time in Japan, which is crazy, <laughs> considering how bad it failed here. Yeah. I mean, the, now Japan is, is doesn't even buy consoles much. They're much more yeah. mobile. And- it's, apparently, its controller set the future standard for analogs. Which I didn't know because it had that one little analog. I guess was that big disc oh, controller. Oh yeah, well, that, like that was nub. yeah. I mentioned that earlier. The little nub. It's kind of like the PSP one. Like it's not because like people are like, hey, the N sixty four was the first yeah, controller. Yeah, apparently with that the joystick tech was but, like, like the edge there. It going was like, back oh, to it, it's hard to feel. There, there was actually a, a like a controller, official controller release for the NES that had that yeah. in it, and it felt like crap. 
again what 8-bit games were using it, but they did do it, you know? So during this time, uh, a supposed 64-bit add-on for the Saturn was discussed. <laughs> <laughs> why? You know, why try? Well, let's try it again. <laughs> they were afraid about the 32X debacle, and they put that to rest. Yeah, There's also Project Pluto, which was, Sega had failed to market the Netlink modem attachment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but they did entertain the idea of melding the modem and the Saturn together. But this was also scrapped. But those two <laughs> concepts for tell. Sega wasn't out of the game yet, and the code name Katana, Katana was still to come. <laughs> Even though the Saturn was doing extremely well in Japan, mostly thanks to Virtua Fighter's success, it didn't stop Sega from being themselves and looking forward to the future too soon. Once again, they tried to leapfrog, and there were whispers of a Saturn 2. <laughs> Lockheed Martin? Not that they were involved. They had worked on the graphics for the Sega Model 1 and 2 arcade boards, and they were working for a Model 3. So the Sega Saturn 2 was put in their hands, and they're like, focus on graphical power. Like, make everything just, just look stop good. Stop making product. Like, what, what was their R&D at the time? Like, it was just like... However, due to a delayed release on the Model 3 by almost a year, Sega lost some of its competitiveness in the arcade market, and they were upset because yeah. because they kept fucking up consoles. That's where most of their money was I coming from. I mean, the arcade from. market was also at this time probably starting to, it to go was down. Dying. Yeah, yeah. Like Lockheed Martin put up several <laughs> designs for a Saturn 2, but all were shut down. And eventually, the Model 3 would be the last project for the pair. They cut ties with okay. Lockheed Martin. And then Lockheed Martin and just made more missiles. Yeah. <laughs> Saturn 2 project shut down. Then they went back to their cash cow <laughs> missiles. So. so next up for the challenge, rising graphics company NVIDIA. They had based their Who? first card off the Never. Saturn tech. That's, yeah. I, so much so that, that it had I a built-in port where you could plug a Saturn <laughs> controller into the card. Yeah! That was standard with their first That's game. great! And a few successfully converted games wouldn't convince the skeptical Sega that this was the tech of the future. It wasn't helped by poor card, poor card sales. Yeah, yeah. The videos still move forward on the NV2, briefly partnered with Sega and tried to make a Saturn V08 project. But a few failed tech demos and the alluring rival of 3DFX put that project to bed as well. And now NVIDIA is obviously bankrupt and failed. And, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? No, they're yeah. out of the, they're, they're not go, good at what they do. They're out of the business. <laughs> they hung it up. All right. The PC gaming market was growing and becoming run by two graphic standards. Weird. I, is that is that changed? No. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> so there was the Power VR by Video Logic. Wow, they were into VR. <laughs> and the Voodoo cards by 3DFX. Uh, that's insensitive. You know anything about these guys, Austin? I've heard of 3DFX. <laughs> I don't know what Video Logic is. This time, Sega would start two Saturn II projects. <laughs> one. Just start one. <laughs> just, just stop. <laughs> just, like. Okay. Yeah, uh, like. Well, yeah. just, just stop doing it. <laughs> One, using each of the two cards and developing in parallel. Video Logic's project <laughs> would be developed in Japan under codename Dural, which is apparently a character from Virtual Fighter, but okay. I, I don't know. I've um, never played Virtual Fighter. Or no? a little bit, but not like enough to That's remember fine. it. Yeah. 3DFX would develop in the US under codename Black Belt. They were like, give each of their divisions develop consoles. Right, what yeah. could go wrong there? <laughs> <laughs> the new Sega president, Shoichiro Irimajiri. Irimajiri. That's what it sounds like, but I slaughtered that, absolutely. <laughs> Thank fuck he doesn't come back. I'm up. not covering Japanese <laughs> There are anymore. way too many dots above letters in that name, <laughs> I won't say that much. Um, he would hire former IBM engineer Tatsuo Yamamoto. Much easier, yes. like the O's. Uh, <laughs> and he was going to head Project Black Belt. And then Sega's console veteran Hideki Sado, who worked on everything right, yeah. from the SG-1000 to now, would head Project Dural in Japan. 
The Hitachi SH4 <laughs> was chosen to be the CPU for both projects. It's a vibrator, right? <laughs> yeah. I really went back and forth on what <laughs> CPUs they would use and eventually landed on that. Black Belt would use the 3DFX Voodoo 2, and Durrell would use the Project VR Series 2. They weren't very creative. They just added numbers sure? after yeah. their models. After a while. Sega shifted their policy away yeah, from... Yeah, good thing they got away from that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sega shifted their policy away from pure graphics power and focused more instead of making the machine easier to develop for. Because that was a problem hmm. that they consistently had. Hmm. Black Belt seemed to be pulling ahead. It had an OS that was specifically designed for easy development. Okay. The 3DFX was seen as the more powerful card. It had the backing of new Sega of America president Bernie Stoller. Bernie Sand. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for what most thought was dedication and a sign of commitment, Sega purchased 16% equity in 3DFX in 1997. Because why not? They're rolling in it right now. Yeah. They bought 3D, part of 3DFX, 16%. They were also seeking software partners during this time. SegaSoft got on board with Black Belt, and then talks began with a little company called Microsoft. All these things pointed to Who? <laughs> yeah. All these things pointed to Black Belt becoming the next console to be developed by Sega. <laughs> and the deal with 3DFX hardware suggested that even more. So, in Japan, Project Dural goes public under the name Katana. And Sega instead chooses to go with Sato's Power of VR design officially. <laughs> no one knows the exact reason for the change of heart at the last minute, but there is speculation. Some say it was just more powerful. The Sonic team dev Yuji Naka, when asked if Sonic would be ported to the PC, said it was impossible because the 3DFX voodoo cards oh, being used it was, would not be powerful enough. It was impossible enough. to port any of these games to PC like way back then. You ever see, like, there was some leaked footage a couple of years ago of Mario Brothers 3 running on a computer, and it was just awful. Like, it was just, like, unplayable. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's the card Sony of America was using. Yeah. Some say it's because NEC, which is the company that owned video logic is a japanese company and the loyalties lie with the japanese companies but most likely it's our old friend capitalism <laughs> nec was the world's largest manufacturer of pcs notebooks and handheld kind of things of computer relation at that time and almost every one of their products contained parts made by our old friends microsoft by using one of their valued customers, Microsoft was likely to benefit, and because of their new partnership with Sega, Sega was likely to come out on top too. NEC could develop the chips at half the price of 3DFX. Jeez. So it's a lot of people speculate that Microsoft pushed behind the scenes right. to get them to ditch the American console and go with the, the Japanese one so they could make some money shipping NEC parts. <laughs> also, weird side note. This is also cited as one of the reasons why that company closed down, I think. 3DFX? Yeah. After the Dreamcast came out, they started to get a lot of criticism that their cards weren't powerful enough, and I think they were purchased by NVIDIA in 2001. Well, good for them. At least they came out a little bit. Yeah. Alright, so, 3DFX, Sega of America, a lot of other people were fucking pissed. The axing of Project Black Belt meant that a ton of jobs were going to be lost at Sega of America. Like, mm -hmm. they were just about to lay off a bunch of people. And there were at least five walkouts and protests. 3DFX was doing a great job, and it seems out of nowhere. Sega tried to claim the reason was 3DFX leaked tech specs when they went public with their company in 97. But I looked it up, and everything related to the tech was apparently blacked out on the thing so uh, that was nonsense they were just looking for a scapegoat huh. the worst part was that due to its stake in the company sega could and would stop the tech from getting into the hands of their rivals specifically sony who showed interest in the <laughs> chips so in september 3dfx filed a 155 million dollar lawsuit against sega and nec 
claiming that they had been misled into believing their tech would be used on an upcoming project, when in reality, two Japanese companies made a backdoor deal months prior. Greg Ballard, the president and CEO of 3DFX Interactive, said, quote, We lived up to all our commitments, yet they terminated the agreement. It's a clear breach of contract. Not to mention, Sega was working with their rivals and had access to their IP, and they were obviously worried that they would get their tech stolen by right, their rivals. Yeah, yeah. In August of 1988, Sega settled with 3DFX for $10.5 Couldn't find anything about that, just mm-hmm. that they settled. They probably brushed it under the door because it's mm-hmm. bad press. On top of this, someone else was confused. EA. <laughs> they also owned equity in 3DFX. Bernie Stoller was a friend of EA head Larry Probst. Probst brought a deal that all sports games will be exclusively sold on the new system for five years. That plan that made the Genesis super successful. So, yeah, yeah let's do yeah, it. Yeah, lean back into the sports. Uh... Sega couldn't meet the terms of the deal, however, but it didn't even seem like they wanted to. They just purchased a company called Visual Concepts, and it was looking like their title, NFL 2K, was going to be superior to Madden 2000. I mean, I think that is well, that was a better game. It like, I, like apparently I, was. Yeah, it was but, apparently much better. But like, but I mean, Madden was Madden. Yeah, and Madden was Madden exactly. So these two things, the weird deal pullout for 3DFX and the Visual Concepts buy led to EA not having any support on Project Katana whatsoever. A mistake that that would eventually be stated as one of the major reasons for its failure. After a 1998 Electronics Gaming Magazine poll suggested that 37% of people liked the name Katana and 37% of people didn't like any of Sega's concept (laughs) names, the Sega Dreamcast was finally shown to the world. I think the Dreamcast is a good name. Yeah, it it got like 12% in that poll. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay. So, it was announced at the Sega New Challenge Conference with a November Japanese release date. And it was supposedly to be announced 17 days earlier on May 10th, but it was pushed back because of the announcement of now Squaresoft's <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, and after the last time, Sega really didn't want to mess around with Final Fantasy because they tanked their last console. Yeah. At E3, Bernie Stoller announced the North American release for Autumn 1999. And at the Sonic Adventure conference a year later, people got to see the Dreamcast run at its final hardware specs, and it looked yeah, fucking amazing. Yeah, at the amazing. time, that was insane. They, they showed that demo of Sonic Adventure 1, the whale, like, you know, him, like, running towards the camera and everything with the killer whale chasing him in the background. Like, that really blew yeah, people away. It looked fucking incredible. Because nobody saw footage of PS2 games at this point, or, or GameCube or Xbox games, like... They they just went right from seeing the N64 and the, the yeah. PlayStation 3D then, to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Due to a history of jumping the gun and just doing whatever they wanted, Japan kept a tight leash on Sega of America, forcing them to wait until the console was tested, wait for more software, uh, wait yeah. for more hardware, out well, that's all that stuff. That didn't stop Sega of America, though. <laughs> In typical fashion, going against his Japanese superiors, they wanted to price the Dreamcast at $249, and Bernie Stoller announced it at $199 <laughs> to a standing ovation. <laughs> he was then fired before the release of the Dreamcast. Oh my god! So oh, they just keep no. going like, we do whatever we want on stage, see yeah, I, I love the I love the E3s of this era. The- I, I saw a brief snippet that yeah. said that there just, was some like, there was an altercation on Sony's so- show floor between Dreamcast and PlayStation people, <laughs> but I couldn't I couldn't find anything about it. So oh, I don't know where it came that's from. Like so good. there was no there was no sources, there was mm. nothing. I Googled all over the fucking place. I looked around in these magazines, like I couldn't find anything. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to find out someone who was there. <laughs> Brilliant. So on November 27th, 98, Dreamcast is launched in Japan. Not nearly as, uh, you know, cool sounding of a date. 
No. (laughs) Many believed it was too early because the Saturn was a massive hit. Its launch was stifled by production (laughs) mishaps. The opposite problem. Yeah, exactly. The Saturn was still doing good. So they were like, why do we need a new console already? The launched within Japan, considering like here there was this huge first wave of heavy hitters. Oh, very. Yeah. So there was apparently they were stifled by production mishaps. NEC was only able to produce 30% of the graphics chips they promised. Mm. There were some issues with one of the electronic parts I, I looked up but it's just great they went with the competition because it was cheaper and they paid for it yeah the console sold out before it launched which sounds good but that meant but that, that they were at the mercy of depending right. on production to yeah. fill the sales at this point the plan point. on releasing one game a week apart all year also fell apart too with half of the planned titles being pushed back last minute sonic oh. adventure was pushed back wow, that wasn't a launch game there resident Man. evil code veronica oh, was pushed fuck. back blue stinger was pushed back a right. bunch more so i have a list it launched in japan with godzilla generations yes a which game never called- even made it to america yeah. no it probably a game wasn't called good. july what uh, mm. pen pen Tricelon mm. and Virtual Fighter 3. Okay. Which Virtual Fighter? I don't know if Virtual Fighter 3 is as remembered as. No. Two and as, one are pretty yeah. much. Well, and the arcades. And they didn't even have crazy. No. They had a game called Space Geist Channel Force 5. that was canceled altogether. Mm. At the New Challenge Conference in 99, the price was dropped, causing a 10,000% increase in sales. 65,000 consoles were sold in four days. This was good for the Dreamcast. Mm. So good, in fact, that officials from Japan's Fair Trade Commission raided 30 Sega offices to find evidence of price fixing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sega was allegedly pressured. They got invested. Yeah, like- allegedly pressuring retailers into maintaining that price drop because they were selling good because of it. Mm. Sega said they would cooperate, but they couldn't comment on the allegations, and that was all I could find. Right. Because that shit was buried but that, fast. That's, man, also, that's at that time, Coca Cola was getting gone after. Like, uh, Bunch oh, of, they did get a bunch of people price fixing. Yeah, yeah. we're getting caught up in price fixing. <laughs> so, in North America, the launch date was set for, like you said, the beginning of episode one, nine, 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 nine. nine. And, what a solid. But apparently in July, you could get the Dreamcast already. Some Hollywood videos, you could rent the Dreamcast <laughs> for a $350 deposit and for what? $20 for a two-day rental of Sonic Adventure. Holy shit. Yeah. I know they got, like, people imported them. Like, I don't know if they were region-encoded. I'm not sure. But I know that people, like, those consoles made it over here before I, then. I rented a Dreamcast from Hollywood Video. Was it before it was out? I don't think so. <laughs> That's yeah, really might, crazy. Yeah, that, this was in July. That's, that's like way that's, ahead. Yeah, that's ahead. And, and this was hugely anticipated. Oh, they, yeah. There was so much money being put into promotions. They were on Good Morning America again. Yeah. Even though and, it had a weirdly ineffective It's I Thinking remember, marketing yeah. campaign <laughs> yeah. where the Dreamcast is supposedly like an AI that would grow and outsmart people and it had all these weirdly <laughs> cryptic ads yeah, that never even some said of those what the Dreamcast was. It reminds me of this fucking terrible PlayStation 3 ads with like the baby doll crying and then there's like an explosion of black goo and then doves fly out yeah. there and you're like what? Dude it's so cryptic. Yeah, it's there's just like, like pictures of like stars and like weird technology and it's just like it's thinking. And we're like, like what, is what is it? Is What's it? thinking? <laughs> like, like it, it was such a dumb fucking move. So apparently in a New York TV test market, 50% of the people knew that the Dreamcast was coming, but they we had didn't no know idea what it 
was. <laughs> Apparently, like, unless you were, like, really into gaming at the time, yeah, like, you'd be struggling you know? to even know if Sega was even releasing a console. Well, what is this? Like, a some sort of DVD toaster? Yeah. Even with all that, there were 200,000 pre-orders and 500,000 sold within two weeks of launch. Still pretty fucking good. Apparently, it was one of the fastest-growing console launches They also of all made time. an event out of it. Like, that, apparently, uh, they credit the Dreamcast with popularizing the the idea of doing midnight releases. Like, that was like, hey, like, we'll open our doors up at midnight, like, k- wait in line for days, get your number. Like, nice. now that stuff's kind of going away, you know, with things like Amazon and digital. But, like, at the time, they apparently, like, they were able to bring people out to stores, like, yeah, in, in celebration. But what about Saturn Day? <laughs> Sega uh, was quick to point out <laughs> that its almost $98 million opening day take was more than, you guessed it, the Star Wars Phantom Menace's opening weekend. <laughs> I mean, that's that's actually significant. I don't think that... It is significant, yeah, that but is in retrospect, that's not the best bar. It's not, but the quality, like, it's not about the quality that's of also, the thing. It's that's just also a bad the... comparison, because when you think about it, you're selling the Dreamcast for $200 a pop, but it, it must cost them that, if not more, to make a Dreamcast. It's oh, like, yeah, we made money on million, every console. We sold $90 million worth of Dreamcast. It's like, yeah, we made a movie once and then sold $90 million worth of tickets, and <laughs> yeah. we didn't have to produce each ticket for more than it cost to sell it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I NFL, mean, that's, that movie probably still had a pretty big budget. Yeah. But. NFL and 2K is great. It's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> NFL 2K, Soul Calibur, and Sonic Adventure were at the top yeah. of the charts. And I they helped, all three of those games. <laughs> they helped the Dreamcast eat the Nintendo 64's market share, too. No. <laughs> Fuck you. You have ready to I, I bought it for $30 after <laughs> they went out of business, oh, yeah. dude. They ported that I couldn't later, find anyway. Crazy Taxi. Yeah. Five months into its life, they had a 20% market share, 2.5 million units sold. It's like, like I said, it's one of the highest like progressing console launches of yeah, all time. Like, totally. Once again, the Sony wave was <laughs> yeah, coming. Yeah, like in the most fucking just like ongoing trail of tears for Sega. Like they come <laughs> out and they're just like, yeah. Sega's like, we made it, the fastest selling console of all time, and Sony's just like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> PlayStation 2 has 120 <laughs> million copies. Yeah. Uh, isn't the PlayStation 2 still the best-selling console of all time? Yeah, yeah. I think so. the PlayStation 1. No. Oh, it's PlayStation I think 2? it's the PlayStation 2. Play- that or it's, the DS. It's either the PlayStation 2 or the DS, but yeah. they're both well above like 120, yeah, 110 million. million uh, the like PlayStation 2 was successful in Japan, and it was arriving in time for the holiday season in 2000 in North America, and it was going to be a hit. By the yeah. end of 2000, the Dreamcast slowed way down. Might even be like 140 million. It sold even now. less than the N64 and the original PlayStation. That doesn't even Jeez. mention the PlayStation 2 numbers, which some yeah. were saying was like 6 to 1. Actually, sorry, not to reckon, but it might... I know the Game Boy was up there. The original Game Boy might be like the one of the top-selling yeah. consoles of all time. However, the but PS2 yeah. was having production issues, and Sega, hoping that people would instead flock yeah. to the cheaper console, made sure that Sony knew about their shortcomings. Mm. They took out a full-page spread in Game Week, Printed postcards sent them all over to Sony and apparently had a truck drive around in front of EA's headquarters in Redwood City, all with the picture of this kid on it sticking out his tongue with his thumbs and his ears. And next to the picture it said, our deepest condolences to Sony on their PS2 shipping difficulties. And here, if you guys want to see what it looked like. Oh, look at that. Oh my god. God. Amazing. That's... It's petty. I love it so much. 
on January Jeez. 2001. So literally, like, their attack ad wasn't that their thing was bad or that people didn't like it. It was, you're out of it. Like, oh, yeah. we've got some of the something else. Like, what? Like, that's not even a really good... No. That's like... like we're sorry you can't make consoles fast enough to sell them. Yeah, because we can and we're not so selling them. Yeah, yeah, like... By January 2001, only 3 million Dreamcasts have been sold. So 2.5, and then only 500,000 more yeah. also, through the holiday season. Also, not to get into it, but I think around early 2001, around this time, was like when the word started to get out about their place in hardware. Not like officially at any point, but it was like they had all these games on the docket, yeah. and then things were getting canceled, and coverage wasn't the uh -huh. same. Like they, it was Apparently, it was like a huge deal that they had, they had that partnership with Ciara to port Half-Life to the Dream cast and like that got canceled and everyone's like whose job it is to review or cover games or retailers to, to see what's coming out to inform people like to pre-order or whatever everybody's like hey like the log books is like slowing down like what's going on with our like consistent release of dreamcast uh -huh. games like yeah it's that was initially successful it was once again unable to beat it happened fast. its competition they announced the production cancellation so yeah they're done making there it is wow that was that early huh mm -hmm. okay. the consistent financial losses over the years at sega had finally taken their toll sega was unable to compete with sony or nintendo and eventually microsoft in their marketing realms and though they had good hallmark titles the competition was better or at least better at selling more systems for those Hallmark titles to be played on. Yeah. The Dreamcast was Sega's last ride into the world of console gaming, and though ultimately Sega lost the competition, they didn't go out quietly into the night. Some of its innovations and releases changed the face of gaming forever. Mm -hmm. Can I have, uh, I just want to add one little tidbit here that I just found interesting. I was looking this up earlier. The very last game that they published for their console was Sonic Shuffle, which was the Mario Party Sonic Talk knockoff. Talk about going out with a bang instead of a whimper. <laughs> In the end, that was on March 9th. But there was also a game, I know I've talked to you guys about, I think I referenced it earlier because I'm an idiot. Chris, have you ever heard of a game called Sega Gaga? No. Did we talk about this before? So, Sega Gaga was... Because Sonic Shuffle was the last game published by Sega for the Dreamcast here and in the UK. But they had one last hurrah. Sega made a game exclusively in Japan that came out on March 29th, 2001, after they already announced that they were yeah. exiting the space. It was an RPG about the story of the Dreamcast and how they were being defeated by a rival game company. And it was a crossover the ga game that featured all these characters from all the other games like Sonic and, yeah. you know, and so, like, so it's like, it's so weird. Apparently, according to the wiki, it takes place in, like, in Tokyo in 2025, and it's about Sega only has 3% share of the console market. And then, like, they're basically their Sony enemy, which is releasing the PlayStation 2. And there's all these, like, your party has, like, Alex Kidd in it and yeah. Sonic. And it's like this, apparently the whole game is, like, this last-ditch effort to save the company from extinction and to make the Dreamcast be back on top again and to defeat, Ugh. like, Sony. And I just think that's a hilarious... Because at that point, they didn't really care. Like, apparently the game had tons of, like stolen cameos from movies and stuff like that because they didn't care <laughs> like they were already <laughs> leaving the like the karate kid is in it i think yeah and it, and it, and it and this was an official game that they put out and it only came out of japan but it was it i just thought that was such a funny and cheeky way to end the reign and then I like that. 
you know, once they said that they were kind of done with uh, hardware, but they were going to get into the, they were still going to stay alive yeah. one way or another through the software game. Their first published game, not on their platform, was a collaboration with Nintendo to publish Super Monkey Ball for the GameCube exclusively. And this was this came out in Japan on September fourteenth, two thousand and one, which may have been a launch title. But like, I, I just think it's crazy that in one year they go from yeah. being this over a decade long competition to then publishing a game exclusively on your enemy's console like and it's hey super monkey ball great game (laughs) those guys went on to make f-zero gx which sega published i think so like it was weird that it was like a lot of the games we're talking about earlier or you that you mentioned like sonic adventure and code veronica would find life on the yeah, GameCube and the PS2 and, and stuff like that. So it was like it they actually like left with dignity. Like they they oh, actually yeah. kind of like those games still went on to to find homes and and for people to play them but like it, it's it's just so crazy and how quick that happened. Like Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. They published Halo Wars too. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, like it's so weird. <laughs> um I couldn't figure out a way to work this into like the development story narrative but Obviously, um, there were Netlink modems that were built into the Genesis yeah. and the Saturn. Yeah, yeah. Or not built in, but sold with as attachments. But the Dreamcast is widely agreed upon as the first home console to ever come with a built-in right modem. Yeah. Yeah. Which is where I mentioned the Dreamcast was the inspiration for the Xbox, including an Ethernet port. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And you could browse the web on that thing and check email. Yeah, that was like, actually yeah. the You could download goal. demos. That was the goal. They it, wanted it, ran, it to be, like, computery. Like, yeah. Check your email. Windows. Look at this shit. Yeah. It yeah. did. There was that little window. If you go back and listen to our Xbox episode, we talk about how they had two projects in development. One of them ran its own DirectX operating system, and one of them ran the modified Windows CE or whatever. CE, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is what was on the Saturday. That's what ran on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Dreamcast. Yeah. So, like, Dreamcast is also was pretty inspirational to Microsoft that they're yeah. like, I, we can run yeah. a game console that runs Windows. And they worked with them for it's, a while. I know it's like scenes, a cliche like, to say that the Dreamcast was ahead of its time, but it really was. Yeah, like, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it, there's a reason why that's become so. They changed gaming culture forever. They yeah. saw the standard of online gaming coming. Yeah. They restructured their company for it, and they also committed by striking deals with AT&T for infrastructure. Like It was more forward-thinking than the PS2 for online. Line. They sold that shit way yeah. later. You know, they were all the about it, man. So obviously, online gaming is but now they were just too important ahead of the times. So yeah. That's the problem. They did it when it didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Uh, I also want to give honorable mentions to a couple games. Typing I, I, I the dead. Out. Uh, yeah. Crazy <laughs> Taxi, incredible. Yeah. Jet Set Radio, one of my favorite fucking like, yeah, games Jet Set of Radio all time. Awesome. Um, Shenmue, which might be <laughs> worthy of its own episode by itself yeah. because of the yes. stupid shit that happened in the that guy, development. The guy that made Shenmue is is a fascinating character because he is very prolific. He is. He's the proto. He's the. He's the Kojima before Kojima. A lot of. I remember we talked about it, and I found arguments online of people arguing over who's the most prolific video game developer of all time and he was like in the top three with like Shigeru Miyamoto and like yeah we'll have to definitely do a story on Shenmue if yeah. we can find yeah. enough about but it but you mentioned like I see stuff in here about the VMU which yeah, was like I love that thing that, which I mean that was the first idea that I could think of of a dual screen sort of yes. thing yeah. like, basically yeah. it was a memory card that you plugged into the top of the controller if you don't remember and it would show shit in the game like your health and bullets and like yeah, it had radar and stuff that. like that 
You could pull and it you out. Could play and you could play little games Tamagotchi. on it. And it had a Tamagotchi. It had a little D-pad and, <laughs> yeah. and like some buttons on it. It, it was like a game They were like, the Tamagotchi craze is huge. Let's make a Tamagotchi memory card that yeah. we plug into the top of the controller. Uh, yeah. That sounds like some 80s shit <laughs> right there. You know what I mean? I mean, you mentioned the, the online stuff and everything. Like, the Quake 3 on the Dreamcast had fucking cross-play. Yeah. Like, you could play with people on PC and well, things like that, Fantasy Star yeah. and everything. Like it's Yes, I, I want to give the... Uh, we'll look the apparently, the Quake 3 was like uh, the... Ex- Exception, not the rule. Apparently, ID software guys were like literal geniuses. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, that's like, yeah. So they they developed that shit good. But just the fact that the console oh, yeah. and, was capable. Yeah, and Fantasy it. Star Online. You yeah. can still play Fantasy Star Online today. Yeah. There are people who run private servers and have their own broadband modems that they hook up to fucking the Dreamcast. Yeah. And There's play. people that because uh, that game also got ported to the GameCube, and that's a needed the little adapter. And there was people still holding on to that. All right, that's all I got. That's it. Special shout out to the, uh, I know I mentioned Typing of the Dead, but to that that keyboard controller that you plug in. Yeah, apparently there were three (laughs) tiers with the AT&T internet, and uh, if you subscribe to the unlimited $21 tier, yeah, even back then, (laughs) you would get the keyboard for free with the deal. I think there was a mouse too, like for the internet Yeah, you would get pretty much everything for like your online gaming. Yeah, I love the like the idea of just being like, I gotta go check my email off on the Dreamcast. I also like, love yeah. that's one of the things I saw. They're like, we only wanted it for email and shit like that. Like, yeah, online. What's online gaming? <laughs> there was I forget whatever their their puzzle. There was like a puzzle game that you could play that had like leaderboards on it. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, like obviously eventually it shifted to gaming, but yeah, like yeah. that was the original intention. Like, but I know like you could use that keyboard to like talk to people in Fantasy Star. Like yeah. the the idea of like an an MM, a massive MMO being on console because this. That predated even, you know, the Final Fantasy eleven on PS2 and stuff. Yeah. But Well, that's it. Yeah. Sega's That's the talent the did from all beginning that console to end. stuff. There yeah. you go. Too long didn't read. They made some good ones, they made some bad ones, and then they stopped making well, them all. I know that to sum it up a little bit, you mentioned this I think in the in the beginning of the last episode about how like like I I know initially we were talking like this was gonna be the story of the Dreamcast, but what makes it so interesting is that it's like the Dreamcast had the fate it had and was what it was, all based on prior decisions. So it's like yeah. it's almost impossible to sum up the story of the Dreamcast without knowing why, why they, or, yeah. why they, like what happened business wise. The, the Dreamcast is not that different wise. from the original Xbox. It's just Microsoft had the money to keep going. Yeah, yeah. the Dreamcast didn't do that. Bad. No, yeah. when you hear about Marketing consoles wise, that like, fail, I mean, you know I mean, like you saw these cheeky stories getting passed around quite a bit. But when the it was like something like the Dreamcast outsold the Wii U, but like Nintendo has that wouldn't that doesn't affect them. Like you the know Wii, what I mean? Like the Wii printed money for them for exactly, like, and so did the DS. So it's like <laughs> yeah. they were fine to come back with you know with something to try again. But it's the Dreamcast was just wasn't the smash hit that I guess they needed to be. And I, I mean, it pretty much was a smash. It just it wasn't like it wasn't enough. It they, it wasn't they, enough. It wasn't it enough was, to save really the company. It wasn't enough ask. for them to keep. They saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. They saw what was going to need to happen to stay in modern gaming. And I think they said, "Well, we've been fumbling around for a while. We had some good ones, bad ones, but I think yeah. I don't think if our marketing can't compete now, how's it supposed to compete yeah. against Microsoft and Sony and in people, the future?" You know people what I mean? remember the Dreamcast very fondly. A lot of the games that started on the Dreamcast had. That went on to have sequels. Went a lot of them went to the Xbox or the GameCube. Like yep. Jet Set Radio got a sequel on Shenmue, Xbox. Shenmue got know. a sequel on Xbox. Uh, a lot of Taxi had a. Uh, they, there were like three, I yeah. think. Yeah, they had some arcade ones. Soul Calibur, obviously, still yeah. still going. Mm-hmm. But uh, and now uh, Sega, still a pretty notable developer and publisher. Games on all pla- 
platforms. They also own Atlas now. They own Atlas? Holy shit. When was that? That was recent, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple okay. of years ago. A couple of years. All right. And uh, now they are apparently back in the hardware space again with the Genesis Mini. I think that's being done by somebody yeah, else. It is. Yeah. But this is the one that they're officially promoting. They're, they're working on this because they have a company called AT Games. It's like this Chinese company that makes real shitty hardware things like the all-in-one joysticks you plug into uh, your TV. There's so many of those crappy... Those people made the last Genesis ones and they're like, now we're going to make a real Genesis Mini. Yeah. We'll see how that does. Mm-hmm. You bought one. You're ready. That's right. it. Yeah. And I think that's it. Ooh, that's the uh, the Sega the Sega Saga. No, thank you for for hosting. Yeah, I'm never doing it long... again. It was a nightmare. <laughs> right. Um, Why? Well, no, I was so thrilled. I I, I got to I, got, I didn't have to do all, I didn't have to go through all that history. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> all right, let's do some plugs. Yeah, do some plugs. Do some plugs. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more, we got plenty of episodes available. Some of which we mentioned in this episode or in part one. You can find it on Top Button Cast. All our episodes are available there you can also it also has links to our itunes our spotify or google play you can also follow us through links or just through our tag our handle on twitter instagram and facebook mm-hmm. at half button cast and yeah like and subscribe no that's a youtube thing <laughs> rate us on itunes that's start what i meant calls. to say <laughs> start a- you'll host again it'll be it's fun yeah, I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. And uh, yeah. we're done.